Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, and along with me is Tim Parrish. And uh, I'm excited. I'm sure Tim's excited too, because the NHL is going to come back eventually, sometimes after the new year, maybe January 13th maybe sometimes in February, but it looks like it's going to happen. Yeah, January 13th is the date that I'm hearing too. 56-game schedule starting on the 13th, which means um, they'll be probably opening up uh, camps, I would say, pretty quick here since they're going to have to – everybody's going to have to go through their little bubble scenarios in their various quarantining locations to get the camps so- in time, so – so a couple of things to talk about with the, with the, the schedule. Okay, so okay, it's a shorter season. I get that because it's only half the year. You know, we're not we're missing October, November, December, and then we're just starting in January, um, which is funny because in a prior podcast we referred to that as kind of like the dog days of the NHL, kind of like the October, November, and then maybe even right before Christmas, we're like excited about it. And then it just kind of seems to drag on like in the Feb, you know, what did we, what did we say after the all-star break? It's kind of like, or like around there is kind of when we maybe lose a little enthusiasm and now that's when it's going to start. So it's just kind of funny, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something to get used to with the shift in the time frame and, and everything else. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of the world we live in now, right? Everything's so, shifted and everything's changed and dates are moved, so we got to roll with the punches. We just go with it, you know. I mean, we had a Stanley Cup final in the fall or in the late summer, which is crazy. But, yeah, just go with it. Now, um, a couple things I've heard discussed just reading a few articles uh, that I was able to look at. Uh, one thing is that they were suggesting um, that – a team would visit another city and play them for three games at a time, like maybe play three games, you know, Detroit visits Chicago and they play three games in Chicago, kind of like how baseball teams do that. You know, right. the, um, that was one thing. Another thing that was talked about was if they end up with the hub cities, that it would be like the teams come to this hub city, play some games for 10 days and then go back to their hometown before going to the next hub city playing there for 10 games or 10 days or whatever, and then going back home. So that was another idea that was kicked around. Um, don't know if they'll do any of them. I, I liked the hub cities, but, you know, I, I get the reality of the situation. You can't have the players stay in a hub city for, you know, a 52-game season and then also um, – deny them the opportunity if there is the opportunity to make any sort of revenue from a limited amount of fans like 500 in a stadium or whatever the the covid rules are for that city or that state i mean you know you can't can't deny them that opportunity obviously well that's the thing you know I, i hate to use the term because everybody is overusing this term but it really is a fluid situation Um, it's changing constantly and, you know, let's say you do designate a couple of hub cities and then all of a sudden those cities have spikes in what goes on and, and change their policies, um, as has been happening in many locations where they roll it back to some, you know, 
earlier model of, of being, you know, only, you know, 30% in operation or 25% in operation and things like that. Now you, now you've stuck yourself in a, a hub that you've committed to in a location that now can't support what it is that you were trying to do in the first place by designating that specific hub. So, you know, th- uh, this is all, none of this has been decided upon yet. This is all kind of like what's being rumored and hashed out at this point. You know, if they, if they do get to this, to where they're supposed to be at, you're right. They're, they're doing, or, or the plan is to do baseball type scheduling in different locations where they have multiple games, uh, back to backs, uh, whether they do them night by night or whether they do them, um, you know, one tonight, one tomorrow, skip a day, and then have one last one before the teams go back and travel. I mean, the the whole thing is to try to reduce travel. I mean, that's that's really what they're looking at. They want to reduce the amount of time teams are moving from place to place and going in different areas. I mean, obviously, the border's already closed. So there's going to be no U.S. to Canada and Canada to U.S. Um, so that raises the question, what do we do about the teams and you know you can't schedule canadian teams versus u.s teams and have a normal nhl schedule right so um we're kicking around the idea of division realignment which again it's not set in stone but i've seen many many different versions of this all of them end with all of team canada's together in one division I like uh, i i was looking into that and i thought that was i, I thought that was kind of neat um, couple of things. So changing the subject a little bit, but not really, um, back over to late spring, early summer, I know that there was a lot of the U S states were making these sort of agreements with each other in, in, in so far as like trying to be on the same page about COVID because like, you know, you have people. Well, especially be- states in areas that are close to the border, like for instance, Chicago versus, you know, right over the border in Indiana, where a lot of the suburban people live that work downtown that no right. longer work downtown because they've been forced into their homes because downtown shut down. Right. So. But what, what was funny and I forgot the comedian that said it, but they're just basically saying, you know, it, it's kind of funny when you have all these like states basically agreeing with each other to do stuff because the federal government won't so he's like it's almost like the hunger games now where you have like all these like northeastern states agreeing to work together and all the like western states agreeing together to work together and all like the central states agreeing to work together so i was like thinking of that and it it was just like you know kind of like um you know, like your regions, like the Hunger Games, where you have like your different districts. And then I was looking about how they drew up these districts for the NHL teams. And I, I, I like them. Uh, at least the ones in the United States kind of make sense because geographically they're close to each other. Canada, the only thing the Canadian teams have in common is their Canadian teams. But I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't think people in Vancouver are really excited about like, oh, great, we play the Montreal Canadiens, or maybe the Canucks having to commute to play the Canadiens and the Senators and the Maple Leaf, you know what I mean? Because of the going across the country. I mean, it's like, yeah, they're all in Canada, but there are American teams that are closer to Vancouver than, you know, Toronto. Well, yeah. I mean, and then 
you know, for a while they were talking about, well, why don't we just put Buffalo and have them play Toronto? Well, you still can't cross the border. So, nope. you know, even though they're basically you can throw a rock at one or the other, you know, right. you still can't you still can't cross the border. So interesting, you know, I've seen multiple versions of this. The latest one, um, you know, has in the what would I guess be considered the East. Oh, um, by the way, I've I've made up I've already made up fun nicknames for these divisions. So if if um, we're talking about the same groupings of teams, then yeah, I got my fun nicknames ready. Well I'll tell you what, on on NHL Network Radio probably a week or so ago they were talking about that and they said, Why don't we name all of these divisions after like the Mount Rushmore of hockey players? And I was like, I think that'd be a great idea. Have like okay. the how the how division, the Lemieux division, the Gretzky division, and the Orr division. Right. If those well, would be your four, which those would be my four, and I think most people would agree. Oh no, you know me. I can I can't do anything that either makes that much sense or or is that is uh, you know that practical. Like so, for instance, like you got Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey. New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington. So I'm calling this the Patrick plus two division because it's basically the old Patrick division plus two. Yeah, I guess it is. It is. I mean, it's minus the Sabres and the Bruins. Well, they were in the Adams division, but that's the plus two, right? Because you had New York, New York, New Jersey, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Washington were all in the old, uh, um, Patrick Division. I mean, I guess you could call it the Northeast Division because that's what it is, right? Sure, yeah. And then Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, Florida, Minnesota, Nashville, and Tampa Bay. I'm calling that the South Central Division because, well, okay, maybe that's a little practical, but it's just, I like the ring to it, the South Central Division. See, that division gets screwed up geographically because of the hurricanes and the lightning. Obviously, because you've got more of centrally located teams, but then what do you do with the Florida teams? They're t- they're too far away from the east, and they're sort of too far away from the west, and so and the best Minnesota. thing you could do is move them in the middle. But then Minnesota is just like way, I mean, I yeah, get Minnesota's it. way up there, but that usually gets lumped into the Illinois, Wisconsin, yeah. Iowa kind of region. Right. So I mean, I get that, and plus Minnesota's. In those division, any in that division, anyway. Right. So here's the Red Wings back with the Blackhawks. So does that rivalry pop back up? Kind of. I mean, maybe. Is yeah, it even I mean, rivalry anymore, considering Detroit's um, bottom dwelling position over the last few years. Too bad that uh, there won't be fans in the stands at Hawks games, most likely because it's giving their penchant for loving to yell Detroit sucks, even when they were a Stanley Cup winning team. They'd still yell Detroit sucks. Now they could yell Detroit sucks, and it would be it would be true. It'd be a hundred percent true. I remember one year I was at a Blackhawk convention. I was the first one in two thousand eight, and we're waiting to get we're waiting in line or whatever. And somebody starts chanting Detroit sucks, and then I just I shout back, "Yeah, but they did win the Stanley Cup." <laughs> like you know, you could say a team sucks, but when the when the Blackhawks missed the playoffs and the Red Wings won the Stanley Cup, it's kind of hard to say Detroit sucks. So at least now it'd be correct. It's it's child logic. I call it child logic. Yeah. I mean, you fall into it as a fan all the time. Ah, oh, your team sucks, whatever. I mean, I call filthy, filthy for a reason. But, you know, my kids do it all the time. They're like, oh, this guy sucks. Oh, this guy's trash. He's garbage, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're professional athletes. 
Right. They've made it to the top of their profession. They're in the NFL or the MLB or the NHL or the NBA. Right. They're elite. And even if they're the worst, they are the worst of the elite, which still makes you better than 90% of other people that play your sport. So think about that before you say somebody sucks or is awful. Yeah, they're awful to you because you didn't win and they did. Right. Other than that, that is it. They don't play for the team that you like. Therefore, they are somehow inferior. Yeah. Every every building in the NHL chants Crosby sucks. But you know what? You would kill to have him on your team. So what do we got in the West? Oh, okay. So then the West. What else? Okay. Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, Los Angeles, San Jose, uh, St. Louis, and Vegas. So I'm calling this Western division with special guests the St. Louis Blues. Because it's like one of these kids is not like the others. Yeah. You know I get it, but I don't. I, I, what, I mean, what else do you do? I mean, seriously, what, what else would you do there? I mean, I, mean, I feel like you, move, you can Louis... move them back into that central division, but then you have a, a highly imbalanced... Well, then you have nine teams in the South Central Division, and we can't have nine because you got to yeah, have, eight, have seven eight, eight, in the East and seven, seven in Canada. In Canada. You'd hey, have you know what? All those seven. people wanted a team in Quebec City, and if they had a team in Quebec City, then Canada would have their eighth team in their Canadian division. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, we've always had this problem, right? I mean, when you had. I mean, going back to 67, when you had the LA Kings playing in the, uh, wait, which was the West Division and which was the East Division? No, you had the all, the, all the new teams were put in the West Division. So you had Pittsburgh and Philadelphia were in the West Division, because all the old original six teams were in the East Division. Figure that one out. So division names never really made sense. I mean, when they went by Western, Eastern, whatever, whatever, for the most part, I think that's why they just said, ah, screw it. And they went with like Patrick Division and Adams Division back in like the 80s. Yeah. And these don't have names either. I mean, we're just saying East, West, just because they're geographic locations. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, what do you, what if you take, what if you take Dallas and move Dallas into the central and then take, or no? Yeah. No, take, yeah. Put Dallas in the central and put if you're going to do St. Louis in the west, put Minnesota in the west too. Since you were just saying they're kind of way up there, I mean, they're further west than the rest. So, well, Dallas is already in the western division with, yeah, but I'm saying move move Dallas back to the central or whatever, move them into the division with the Hawks and the Wings and stuff. What about you? Don't I'd agree with you, but I'm not looking at a map, so I don't know which city is more west than another city. So, well, Dallas and Chicago are pretty, pretty much in line. They they're in the same time zone. Time so. zone, yeah. So I would imagine that puts them sort of in line with each other. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is to that. I mean, you can speculate one way or another, but they're if they're planning on January 13th as a start date, I mean, you got to figure. Players are going to have to report for whatever camp they open at least two weeks ahead of time, right? If yeah, you're going to have a like small after, camp after Christmas, I yeah, would think. so it's going to have to be after Christmas with quarantine and a mini camp. Yes, right. So, you know, here we are 
December 14th, right? Christmas is 11 days away. You're going to have to have camp start on December 30th, 31st, the first of the year, something like that. And that way everybody is quarantined and goes through all of their testing and everything else. So they're running out of time, really, to be honest. And, you know, I guess everybody's waiting with bated breath to see what, what ends up happening and, and what division their teams get shoved in so they can make their predictions and, and everything else and figure out what's going to what's going to transpire as we go forward. I'm just happy that we're going to get hockey. We're going to get hockey pretty close to the first of the year. And hopefully we'll have access to photos and pictures of players for the new hockey card releases that may come out later in the year and aren't like recycled images from last year or two years ago and no pictures of any of the rookies. So maybe we'll actually get players in, you know, correct jerseys and with correct numbers and current and stuff like that. If we actually can get some hockey on the ice. Right. Yeah. yeah. Those, all those free agents that switch teams, you know, hopefully in time for upper deck series too, because otherwise that's going to be kind of disappointing to get, you know, to, to not have updated photos. I would like to see that. I mean, with the delay and all of the different releases, you know, I wonder how I I always wonder how much of the product is already printed and ready to go and how far out it's already done. Like if they announce a product, like everybody knows, for instance, let's go with the one right off the top of my head. Artifacts always comes out. It's one of the first releases of the year. It obviously has not come out yet. They're planning on releasing it, I think, January or February. So, you know, here's a product that comes out the beginning of the season which is usually October. Now the beginning of the season is January. So artifacts will come out the beginning of the season. And most of the time it has like the old, if players got traded or whatever, it's got photos from mm-hmm. previous. It doesn't have anything new because it's come out before any of the new stuff has been taken. So I just wonder, you know, if all of that's done and ready to be go, or if, you know, a, a release later like trilogy or, you know, something like that that's planned on coming out a few months down the road from there. If they can switch out, get new photos and switch them out or something. I, I don't know how that works, but yeah, I, I, always, I don't know. I always either. That. Um, but then just to, just to kind of state the obvious and then the remaining teams in the Canadian division, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver, Winnipeg. So I yeah, couldn't think of a that more division. Huh? Who's winning that division? Uh, good question. From the drop dead end of the playoffs last year, we're not talking the Stanley Cup finals. Look at those teams and who's winning that division. I don't know. I mean, Toronto. I would say Montreal. Yeah. I know I hear the crickets, but I would actually say Montreal, considering how Montreal was playing going mm-hmm. into the playoffs, um, or at least towards the end of the season before the pause, and then the fact that they came in on a wing and a prayer and actually did something, you know? Yeah. If they can, if they can get guys to actually play in front of Carey Price, that team could be a fairly scary team within that division. 
And you'd like to go and look at that and see, like, well, pff, the Oilers have McDavid and they have Drysidel, so they should be, they should dominate everyone. Oh no, they they don't. And you know, it's just interesting. It's an interesting mix. A lot of people are thinking the Senators are actually going to be fairly decent this year too. So know. the um, the way this would be set up would be uh, then they would have uh, divisional play for the first round. Uh, and then, so, I mean, Canada actually has a, has a pretty good shot of getting to the conference final. Well, they're going to have one team in a conference final. So that's, uh, yeah, you won't have a year where there's no Canadian teams in the playoffs. Right. And you won't have, and you'll have one of these teams will end up in the final four. Yeah. And, you know, with last season, they had the 2014 postseason format. I think they're going to do that again. So whether they make it like they did this time to say one of them's a play-in round and not mm-hmm. really the playoffs, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I think they're going to do the 2014 thing. I think I think Gary likes that. Would they have time for that, though? Because they're doing a 50-something game season. They would if they do a 56-game schedule, that, that, which is the last one I saw. They definitely would because um, it would take the playoffs right up right up into kind of that window of, of when it should actually be taking place hmm. in a normal, in a normal scenario. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just, just thinking like, uh, yeah, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver, Winnipeg. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, cause you have, you're going to, if you have 15, if realistically, if the players, if teams play, Three games in four nights. Let's say they play every other night. Let's say they can play 15 games in 30 days. Let's say you could do 15 games a month, right? That's assuming you do one night on, one night off, two nights on, one night off, a night on, a night off. You know what I mean? However, right? Like, it's going to take at least three months to play through the season. Yeah. So but again, I mean, three months to play through the season, and that puts you towards the end of April into May, right? Middle February, yeah, okay, to May, you yeah, got I half guess of so. January, you got February, you got March, you got April, so there's three and a half months right there. All right, I so mean, give them going three and into half May, months. I mean, that's close to when you know playoff hockey is being played anyway, so and then four rounds, yeah, if you do the four rounds, I mean. We may be playing hockey into September. I don't think it would be September. Well, be I don't know. I mean, okay, I don't know. Wishful thinking. I mean, they, uh, they blast through those rounds fairly quickly, and who knows? Maybe they'll do again like they did last time, where it's like a game at a game at noon, a game at two thirty, a game at five, a game at seven thirty. You know, and just keep rotating them and bust out five games a night. You know, I I realized something. And and it, 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 I'm kind of ashamed that it took me this long to make that connection. When I was all happy about, oh, I love having a game at 11 and a game at 2 and games at... I realized that that's what football fans get every Sunday. And I never made that connection. That, like, when I talk about, like, the day after Thanksgiving when they have a game at 11 and a game at 2 and a game... Like, when they have, like, games all day until the evening. And that's, like, what football, NFL football fans get, like, every Sunday. 
And I, yeah. I, I'm just like, oh, so this is what it's like to be a football fan. But I didn't, I, it was only today that I made that connection, right? Like, where I'm just like, I love watching hockey and I love watching hockey at night. But damn, I love watching hockey just all day, just having the TV on and just constantly having games on like we did during the bubble. And I realized that that's, that's what being an NFL fan is like. And now I finally made that connection. Or you could be like us. We just watch Red Zone. So it's football all day, nonstop, seven hours of commercial-free football. Mm. And um, that that's fun because it just bounces from one game to the next, to the next, to the next. And you're just – basically you're watching every single game, at least bits and pieces of all of them. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to pay for the Sunday ticket to do it. So, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I wish there was a hockey thing like that where it would just bounce from game to game to game. But the problem is football stops. Hockey doesn't stop. So there'd be no way to do that. You'd have to have simultaneous split screens of everything and hope your TV was big enough that they didn't look like small, tiny ants. I I, I am okay with watching a full hockey game. I don't need to bounce around middle of the games. I'll do that sometimes if a game is boring. Or if it's the intermission and I just don't care what they're going to do during intermission. I actually, I mean, I used to do that a lot when, like, um, on Saturdays, like, if the Blackhawks were playing, but then I'd always want to flip over to Hockey Night in Canada for Coach's Corner for first intermission. And then when they used to do the hot stove during second intermission, I really liked that um, segment when they did that way back when. So, um, but no, otherwise I'm fine with just saying, well, this is the game I picked to watch and I hope it's the right one, you know. Do you have the center ice package uh, to I, be able to watch all the games that are on? I do. Like, I mean, I don't have it right now, obviously, because there's no season going on. In fact, I don't even have the NHL network because even though there's no hockey on anywhere and sometimes I'd even be happy watching a classic game, I just I was so busy these last couple of months that just, you know, watching NHL tonight just didn't really wasn't didn't really seem to be worth the five dollars a month that i would pay i'll pay for that in january when there's an actual hockey season and then i pay for the center ice subscription package because for the 130 140 dollars a month or a month uh, a season 140 dollars a season well worth it well worth it Love well, it makes having you wonder. so so if you go to a 56 game season instead of an 80 plus game season with with extras and stuff do you get a lower price on that do they cut um, it I'm sure they'll give a lower price and I'm sure they're going to want to push that as hard as they can because they need all the revenue they can get. So um, they're not getting NBA money. They're not getting NFL money. They're getting NHL money, which is like a tenth of that. So, well, I'll admit I don't have a center ice package, but you know, I enjoy watching penguin games using the penguins feed um, with uh, Pittsburgh network and listening to, you know, the Homer announcers, because I'd much rather listen to Bob Erie than any of the Homer announcers that they throw on any other broadcast, especially on NHL Network. But the um, the the streaming services that I used to use to get those, most of them have locked those down now. So yeah, I got I, I got to find another I got to find another source. <laughs> yeah, I remember being able to watch uh, CBC on a streaming service, uh, uh, a, uh, gr- a, a gray area, we'll just say, and I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, yeah. 
But I mean, you know what? And actually, I would only do that because uh, if my girlfriend at the time wanted to watch TV and I wanted to watch hockey, I'd be like, all right, that's fine. I'll just go stream the game on my computer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, when the season rolls around, I mean, heck, as soon as we even have even like a whiff of like, oh, there's going to be some preseason games televised. Yeah, I'm signing up for NHL Network. And yeah, I'm going to like, yeah, as soon as I could subscribe to Center Ice, I will do that just to get, you know, even preseason games. That's fine. I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to watch preseason games. I loved seeing players who were trying to make the team. I knew sometimes I would see guys and I knew that they, that some of them were not going to make the team. So it was kind of cool to say, well, I saw this guy play a preseason game for whatever team. Unfortunately, well, a lot of times it's your only opportunity to see some of those guys. I mean, pretty much the vast majority of anybody that's fairly decent will get invited to a team's camp and get a workout and get, get a chance to, jump into a few of those games. Most of the superstars, you know, that are going to be on the roster. It's just like that with any sport with exhibition games. You know, the, the star players go out there for a couple shifts just to, right. just to get the crowd into it. And then it's, let's play all these guys that are fighting for a job. And that might be your only opportunity unless you actually watch AHL games or even ECHL games because guys might get knocked down and knocked down again. Or even some of the younger guys, that are rookies or, you know, draft picks and things, you know, especially the, the really young guys that get drafted at 18, 19 years old that aren't really NHL ready that are going to go off to their, you know, CHL teams and things like that. They at least get an invite to camp and you get to see a little bit of what they have to offer. What, you know, if they stay within the system, you'll see, you know, here's what your future is going to look like, mm-hmm. you know, um, two years from now when this guy's 40 pounds heavier and, you know, can skate about 12 mile, miles an hour quicker, mm-hmm. here's what you're going to see. And so, you know, that, that's your one opportunity in most cases to, to see that kind of stuff. I, you know, again, unless you follow the A and AA and AAA, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call them. So, yeah, I, I, I remember one game that I saw many, many years ago, probably 30 years ago, 30-ish years ago. And I'll have to figure, I'd love to be able to remember who this was, because it was, it was a Blackhawks home game, so it wasn't televised. It was a preseason game, so I doubt the other team was televising it. It was against the Oilers, and they put in a goalie, and the goalie didn't even have a name on the back of his jersey. And I remember people in the crowd laughing and pointing, because like, Whatever goalie they put out there, he didn't have a, a he didn't have a, a a name on his jersey. And I remember the announcer saying, "Not listed in your program." Now playing goal for Edmonton, number like twenty nine or something. And I was just like, "Wow, it's it it sucks when you get to play for an NHL team and they don't even put your name on the back of the jersey." But I know it's not about the name on the back. It's about the logo on the front. But still, it was just kind of funny. And it's the kind of funny stuff like that. Uh, or just, I don't know. Uh, I, I I think another thing, though, is like, I remember like when they had the lockout back in uh, 2013. And then they had like a really short training camp. And like the Blackhawks pretty much had their, they had their roster pretty much picked. 
So they didn't really have, they had a training camp, but really nobody was in the lineup that wasn't already pretty much going to make the team anyway. So, which is fine because they had a pretty deep team and they won the Stanley Cup that year. So, I mean, it wasn't like they had a lot of guesswork to do, but sometimes that little bit of guesswork is fun when you have that surprise player who walks onto the team and, and, and makes an impact, you know, like, like an Artemi Panarin who, you know, the black when when the Blackhawks signed him and he was a free agent, you know what I mean? And we didn't know anything about him because he wasn't in the NHL the previous year. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I haven't I haven't gone to a lot of minor league hockey games. I mean, obviously I, I went to a bunch of I've talked about that before. I went to a bunch of Wrangler games when I lived in Vegas. Yeah. Um back in the day. And been to a few Johnstown Chiefs games back in the early 90s, um, probably 91. Uh, I went to the most that year, 91, 92. I think I was probably at four or five games. Stan Reddick was their, was their goalie back then. I thought that guy was awesome, but I don't think he ever played in the NHL, to be honest with you. Not to be confused with uh, uh, Eldon Reddick. Yeah. Um, they also had uh, Phil Esposito on their team for a couple games, too. So Was this a cousin or something? Um, well, it definitely wasn't Phil Esposito, the famous Phil Esposito, although mm. he looked looked a quite quite like him. Hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, so other I mean other than that, I've been to a couple Wolves games, you know, Chicago Wolves games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back when they existed for a minute. The uh, the Chi Town Shooters, which was uh, a, t- a local team uh, where I live, for a couple minutes, they they kind of disappeared. That would have been a sub, I guess, a sub ECHL team. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what I'm not sure, even sure what that league was. Um, I, I can't remember, but uh, yeah, I mean, those are always fun to see. You know, which guys may may or may not ever make it to the big show so getting back to the big show the nhl so uh yeah that's the season's gonna happen the players and the owners the players and the team seem to be pretty much on the same page and working together now so it's just a matter of when and uh how but it'll happen and like you said fluid situation and uh i'm excited you know I, i i i loved having the nonstop hockey and then and then I got really busy with work and then I kind of didn't mind there being no hockey. Cause I kind of needed a little break from it. And I'm sure the players needed a break too. And now I'm kind of excited for it to come back. And also, you know, another connection, uh, not connection, but just another realization is that all this hockey is going to happen after football is over. Yes. So, I mean, the NHL will only really have to compete with the NBA at that time, which they're used to anyways, because a lot of these teams share the same arenas with NBA teams. And they're just, they're kind of used to it because they, you know, they're, they're both winter sports. Right. And then it's kind of like baseball comes around in the spring and kind of maybe draws some attention away from hockey, but then there's the Stanley cup playoffs and the people are really into hockey double down at that point. But like, you know, a really good friend of mine, probably my best friend from childhood on forward he told me he's like, I love football and I love hockey. He's like, but I really love hockey once football is done. Cause then I just give all my attention to hockey. And I think that there's a lot of fans like that where, you know, 
they're not going to say, well, the, this, the, you know, the Bengals are on or the Bears are on or the Patriots are on. They're going to they're just going to focus on hockey because that's all, you know, because that's I don't say that they're, they're, that's all there is. But, you know, football takes a lot of attention because it's an immensely popular sport. I mean, no bones about it. So, yeah, I think if you and I think that's another reason why uh, the NHL kind of did. I want to say pretty well over the summer because, I mean, yeah, there was baseball and there was basketball, but there wasn't football. And I think that really steals a lot of the thunder from it. Yeah. And I have those people too that I, oh, I love hockey. Really? Uh, We could talk all year and you haven't watched a single game. Oh, well, I'll watch it after, you know, football. Once football season ends, I'll watch. Right. But, but then by the time football season ends, then mid February, you know, pitchers and catchers are reporting to spring training. And then now all of a sudden you're, oh, well, I'm caught up in baseball. I can't watch hockey anymore. Not until right. the playoffs. Okay, so you've watched 12 games <laughs> all season, maybe, if you're lucky. No, but I'm like the opposite because I, I'll watch any hockey game before a football game. You know, with the exception maybe being like a Super Bowl or something. But, I mean, honestly, it could be like two NHL teams that I don't care about. And I'd still watch it before watching Monday Night Football. It just that's just how I am. You know, I mean, I, I get it. And if you're wired to like football better, you're gonna watch whatever. Oh, there's a Thursday Night Football game. I'm gonna watch that because that's my sport. I get it. Yeah. Well, it, we're we're talking more the casual fan. We're not talking to all the people that listen to our show. No. We know we know you're all diehards, and well. We'll put the put the puck before all others. Oh, you know, I'll just throw this out there really quick. I noticed that over the past couple of uh, days, we've gotten a few more reviews on Apple Podcasts. And if you like this show and you have a minute, please go over to our page on Apple Podcasts and give our show a rating and maybe even a review. But heck, if you just click the five-star rating and it says we're still rated five stars and we have, you know, more than 10 reviews awesome or ratings that's awesome but uh yeah if you got a minute i mean my dream one day is people will go to the apple podcast page they'll click on hockey and we'll be listed on the hockey page instead of just found through a search you know what i mean like we'll be right up there maybe you know maybe 50 or 60 podcasts down from spitting chicklets you know start small move our way up but at least getting on that hockey page would be a good first Small step for Sal and Tim. Yeah, it would. Um, are there any? I mean, we're on like everything. Does, how many of the other ones allow you to like rate and leave a comment and all that kind of stuff? I don't do, know. Google, do any of them? Google, no. SoundCloud, kind of. I mean, SoundCloud, yes, but I mean, that's kind of different. But I mean, really, it's like we get a lot of our plays through iTunes. So, I, or iTunes, the, the, the service formerly known as iTunes now called Apple podcasts. Well, so. And that's the thing because the Apple podcasts, the way that they're coding is pretty much any of people's podcast feeds will pull from Apple podcasts. So if you have like a podcast player, like on your phone or some other kind of device, a lot of times it just yanks it off of, off of the Apple feed. Right. So I think that that's part of it, but I did, I did find out and I, I know I told you about it, that uh, the U S version of Apple podcast and the Canadian one are different. So they have, did not know that. Yeah. You can, 
if you go to the one in Canada, you'll see different stats on our page than you will on the, I guess it would be U.S. version. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look at that. I haven't but, seen yeah, it. We have, we have different comments um, on, on the Canadian one. <laughs> I feel like the Canadian, uh, the Canadian listeners would be harsher critics. Oh, of course they are. They're, they're nice. They're nice in a sort of backhanded way. You know, like typical, typical Canadians. Eh? Whoa, slow down there, pal. Let's not offend anybody. I'm not They're nice to... in a backhanded kind of way. Yeah, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, you know, you never, you don't make it until you got people hating on you. So that's all I'm saying. This so. is true. This so, is true. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about this Gretzky rookie card again because when a hockey card goes for a million dollars, over a million dollars we should talk about it a second time. The first time we talked about it and we said it was going to hit a million dollars and it did. And now it hit over a million dollars. The auction is over. Everybody's talking about it. I mean, last week, everybody was talking about what was about to happen. Now this week, everybody's talking about what just happened. So, um, and it's not just everybody. It's everybody. Like it's, yeah. it's people that have nothing to do with hockey and nor care about hockey. And they're paying attention. And it's I mean, funny because they're like hockey cards. Oh, I guess they make those, huh? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, like they're like baseball cards, you know, hockey cards. They're like Pokemon cards, but with hockey players on them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. I, I get it. Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is Ove- it, what is this, Ovechkin? Is that like a Charizard? Ovechkin, I choose you. Crosby, I choose you. Yeah, exactly. Um What's it called? Oh man, I'm thinking of uh, thinking of uh, the Magikarp, the most useless Pokemon. It's just this fish. You have to get 400 of them to evolve it into a badass Gyarados, but otherwise, it's a pretty stupid Pokemon. <laughs> I, I know nothing. I just know Charizards are like the best card, and people are selling them for tens of thousands of dollars. That's all I know about yeah. Pokemon. Did you see? Uh, did you see Detective Pikachu when it came out? I know the answer to that. <laughs> I'm like, what, what, why are you asking me? You, you know kids. the answer. You have kids. Yeah, well, only one of them is even into Pokemon, and he was not into Pokemon, but now he's back into it because he has, he's himself seen what some of these are selling for, and he just keeps looking through his cards thinking one of them is going to be worth something at some point. So two years ago, you did not take your kids to see Detective Pokemon, uh, Detective Pikachu. Because yeah, I, I was I was absent that day, so I missed out on that. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, so yeah, so the Gretzky rookie. So hockey cards are like baseball, but hockey. Uh, yes. So the Gretzky, the Wayne Gretzky seventy nine eighty OPG rookie card sold for one point two million one point two nine million dollars at Heritage auctions. Now, of course, already the peanut gallery that is social media. I've already pointed out. Well, the centering doesn't look good. The edges don't look good. The edges are not perfect 10 edges. Oh, but if you knew how Opeachy cut the cards, then you'd say that these edges are acceptable for how the cards were cut back in 1979. Or the centering is off or this or that. I, I don't I don't know. Somebody said it's a 10. Everybody who bid on it thinks it's a 10. That's all that matters, right? Well, from the standpoint of... of you know what it is and what we now see that it went for i mean 
load up the armored truck because this thing's on its way to its new owner. I mean, you're talking about a card that in 2011, this this same card in 2011 sold for a little north of 94 grand, mm-hmm. right? Then in 2016, the guy that sold it just now bought it for half a million dollars. So mm-hmm. 500,000. Now he turns around and sells it 4 years later for almost 1.3 million dollars, right? So if that doesn't tell you how that has progressed in all of that time, you you got to remember this was graded back then, the same grade that it is now, a 10. Right. In all of that time since grading, there's only been two PSA 10s. Mm-hmm. Now, I get that. You look at this card, it looks pretty ragged. I mean, if you're really looking at it and you zoom in on it, it looks pretty ragged. And there's a reason for that because I, I implore people to find 79, 80 top or not top Opeachy cards that look perfect because you won't. So these are graded differently. They're graded based off of the time frame. And my initial impression of these looking at it, I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's a 10. That's a pretty nice looking card, though. It's in good shape. It's got sharp corners. It's not too off center. It's a little off center, but it's not too off center. Most Opeachy cards are way off center. I mean, the Opeachy print is famous for being way off center for a reason. It wasn't about quality. It was about quantity. How many of these can we get out? And that's what they did. Um, you know, the jagged edges were because of how they were cut. You know, they used airplane wire to cut these things. So, you know, the wires would get dull and start chopping up the edges of the cardboard. So, I mean, that you get that, you get that thing. So I think from a, I don't know how grading is done and pretty much nobody does because it's this giant mystery, uh, except for the new grading company that's coming out that, uh, they were at the expo and talked about what their, what their company is. They're trying to be a little more transparent as far as the process and how everything goes, but it's a big secret, you know. BGS keeps it a secret. SGA keeps it a secret, or SGC or SGA. That's a grocery store, isn't it? Um, and and you know, PSA keeps it secret too. So, I mean, everything's subjective to the to the eye. You know, your eye might think it's a ten. Somebody else might think it's a nine. Somebody else might think it's a four. I mean, it's it's gonna, it's all subjective, right? The the point of it is. We're taking a company that's considered one of the top grading companies as far as putting a condition on a card and encapsulating it. And they're saying it's a 10. And in the climate of the trading card business right now, you slap a 10 on a card that's iconic like that, people lose their minds and they go nuts. So you had an investor entrepreneur person that owned this card and decided I'm looking at what the market's going to do in other sports. I wonder what this will do now and said, let's go. And here we are at a one point, almost $1.3 million sale over a million dollars for a hockey card. The first time ever. I mean, sure. We've seen baseball cards sell for that. Um, you know, even the LeBron James rookie sold for, you know, more than that, but no one's ever seen a hockey card get to this level. 
until now. Well, I mean, it's hockey being the quote-unquote fourth sport, right? So you're going to have less casual collectors go after it, right? Like, everybody knows the Hannes uh, Wagner card, and everybody knows the Mickey Mantle rookie, right? Or rookie. <laughs> rookie, in quotes, he did have a card from 1951, but whatever. Um, you know, the 52 Mantle rookie, right? Yeah, or, the 52 or, Mantle, the T206 Hannes Wagner Jordan, the Jordan Fleer rookie, um, you know, I mean, you can go sport by sport and pick and pick out, you know, what, what those iconic big name, you know, cards are going to be. And if you Mm -hmm. have them and if you have them in decent condition, you're in for a huge payday. The thing is, and I mentioned this on our last show, you may have the Gretzky rookie. You may have an Opeachy Gretzky rookie. You don't have a 10. You may think you have a 10. But you don't because you don't. Now, if you send it in for grading and it came back at 10, great. Now you're one of three people and you got yourself a $1.3 million card. Good for you. But guess what? Until that happens, you don't. Yeah, but the thing is, is that if everybody submits cards and everybody gets back 10s, then it's no longer a $1.3 million card. So Ah, it it is in the grading company's interest to... Be very, very, um, uh, very, very picky, obviously, because they're grading companies, but they can't just give out 10s like candy. Because then, if, the, listen, the Gretzky, it was one of two. That's what drove up the price. If there were 20 Gretzky rookies that were graded 10s, it would not have gone for a million because somebody would have said, ah, eh, I'll just buy one of the other ones when it pops up, right? So, uh, well, yeah, and, and they do, I mean, you know, when, for a while, when we were looking at, you know, eBay sales, Mm -hmm. you know, if I pulled the top 100 sales, 70 of them were Gretzky rookies of some, some nature or another, um, you know, not always graded, most of them raw, but the fact of the matter is you've had over, I think it was something, it was close to like 6,000. Gretzky Opeachy rookies that have gone through the PSA registry uh, and are in the population. So they've, they've actually been graded mm-hmm. overall. Now you've got some that don't have high grades. You probably have another like eight, eight or 900 that didn't grade high enough to actually be put on the scale. But essentially you're looking at between five to 6,000 Gretzky's that have just been sent in for grade, and that's just PSA. That doesn't count any of the other grading companies. We're just talking PSA. You grade six thousand cards, and only two of them come back perfect. I mean, the odds that a thousand more people send them in, and any of those get a perfect, are not very good, right? If they stick with the same odds, they're not very good. But. How many of those that were graded in nine could have probably been a 10? Uh, there were only 89. 89 nines. Yes. So, I mean, even a nine, there's less than 100. So, See, now, between nine and 10, there's basically 90 cards. I mean, I, a, a dealer that I spoke with thought that the that PSA was purposely trying to keep the population of those higher grades low because... If everybody has a PSA 10 
Gretzky rookie than the PSA 10 Gretzky rookie does and sell for a million dollars. Like people who don't even think about grading are now thinking about grading because they'll think, oh, well, my card will be worth more than uh, if it's not graded. Oh, that one was graded by PSA. That's who I should get my card graded by too. If that was a BGS 10 Wayne Gretzky rookie card that went for $1.29 million, people would probably be thinking, oh man, I got to get BGS to grade my cards, right? So it's in the greater companies, the grading company's interest to keep that population low. You can't have too many PSA 10s or BGS 10s because then that kills the mystique around it. Well, the vast majority of these fall in the six and seven range. I mean, mm-hmm. you're talking 20, almost 2,200 of them that have been graded are in are either sixes or sevens mm-hmm. with another 700 and some as an eight. So, you know, that's where the vast majority of these lie. But so you figure there's 2000 with another 800. That's almost 3000 between six, six and up. There's almost 3000 mm-hmm. actually almost. Yeah. There's almost 3000, which means half are five or less that, that were graded. Now, again, you can find this card readily available. You go to you go to eBay right now. I guarantee you, within two minutes of searching, you'll have found a hundred of these for sale, easily. So it's not like it's a super rare card by any means. But in the condition like that, you're going to have to really pull off some kind of coup in order to get yourself a grade in those higher grades, even to get a nine. They don't dish those out like candy either. You know, your your best guess if you have a card that's in decent condition from the set, because again, it goes back to the condition sensitiveness of the set. You're going to fall somewhere probably in the middle. You know, I, I know somebody that had a Gretzky rookie. I thought it looked great. It was a little off center, but corners were sharp, everything else. They sent it into PSA. It came back a four. What? Yeah. Came back a four. And so, I mean, I mean, what do you do? What do you do in a case like that? I mean, there's plenty of people that would crack that open and then try to resubmit, resubmit it somewhere it. else and do whatever. But, you know, again, now you're talking, well, I don't like this grade, so I'm going to do something else because it comes down to the subjectivity thing. You know, I thought it looked cool. They thought it looked good. Most people thought, wow, this is pretty nice. It was a four. So, you know, to me, I think of a four and I'm like, well, there must have been a crease down the middle or something, you know, but, you know, obviously that's, that's not the case and I'm not a grader, so nor do I want to be, but, you know, so here's, go yeah, go ahead. I, I think you're going where I think I was going. So, uh, go ahead. okay. So, uh, you talked about the drafting effect and how this was going to raise up other hockey cards. So then yeah, the last show, it, yeah obvious question is what other cards might then what's going to be the next million dollar hockey card now going back to what you said earlier about naming the divisions after you know the the four best nhl players ever gretzky lemieux how and or and we don't have to rank them we're not ranking who you know was bobby Orr the greatest was gordy Howe the greatest you know we're not we're not getting into that discussion we're just agreeing that those are those four are the four the best four. So that's where I was going. Is that what you, where, where you were going to? Yeah, pretty much, you know, the effect of what this is going to do on everything else. 
So there's a couple of things to think about when because th- I was thinking about like because first like we're just just right right off the top of my head like okay well then the next one to go for a lot of money will be a Gordy Howe rookie card but then I thought about it and I said no no it's not going to be a Gordy Howe rookie card because okay in order for a card to reach a million dollars at an auction there this is just me brainstorming for thirty seconds but still. Um, the card has to be able to attain a high enough grade, right? And you think about a lot of those 51, 52 Parkhurst cards, they're not in great shape. I mean, coming out of the gate, they were not in great shape because the guy who owned Parkhurst used to shuffle the cards by throwing them in a cement mixer. And that's how they'd, that's how they'd randomize them. Maybe Upper Deck could take a, <laughs> learn something from that. But I mean... You know, because I get the same cards in the same packs, you know, the same, the, the collation's not so good. Or tops, those top stickers that I bought. Oh, boy, if you looked at the last few blog posts I wrote about the this horrible collation and the top Taki stickers, right? They just didn't shuffle them good enough. But um, so the card needs to be attainable in a high grade. It has to be a memorable player. And it has to be, uh, it has to have enough quantity available for it to be graded in enough volume that you're going to get some tens so right away what that does is that cuts out most of the cards from the 1910s and 1920s and 1930s you're not going to get an eddie shore rookie card selling for a million dollars at auction because okay old-time hockey fans know who eddie shore is even if they don't know who Eddie Shore is, they know the name Eddie Shore from the movie Slapshot. Old-time hockey, like Eddie Shore, right? But it is just not that kind of... It's not the type of player that people still talk about today. I mean, historians do. People who get old-time hockey do. Bruins fans do. But, you know, it, it has to be somebody that people will talk about. So it's got to be a memorable player. Um it's got to be able to get high grades and it's got to be available in enough quantities that enough of them would get graded. So that all said, my prediction would actually be Mario Lemieux's 85-86 OPG rookie card because there's a lot of them out there, meaning that you could get enough of them graded um, and get back some tens. Uh, it's a notable, well, not notable player, a memorable player, my word, memorable player, um, and considered one of the all-time greats, um, you know, and the card will be, you'll be able to get high grades of it because it came out in the mid-80s, and even, you know, there's, enough was going on in the mid-80s where you still had kids like me rubber banding cards together. So it's not like everyone that came out it was immediately put into a penny sleeve and a top loader and stored away for, you know, 35 years. So... That, that's that's my opinion. Now, I mean, you might think, okay, maybe the Bobby Orr rookie card. That would also be a very good candidate. But I'm thinking that was, you know, that's more than 10 years before the Gretzky rookie card. And, I mean, there's a lot less of them. And maybe that would actually drive up the price of it. So Well, and your, re- your reasoning behind the Lemieux is my reasoning why that wouldn't be one. And that's the fact that it came out in the mid 1980s, whereas Mm -hmm. the Gretzky one was on the cusp of the decade change. Yeah. 
in many people's minds, they view the 80s and 90s as the junk wax era or the overproduction era, as we always call it. But it's it's fondly known as the junk wax era. And anytime you slap a 1980 or 1990 designation on something, people immediately think, well, that's it's junk. Um, but stuff from the 70s and 60s and going backward, not so much. Even though we know differently that there was tons of hockey product out there you know, from probably 73 onward. Right. Um, but, you know, the the common, you know, bystander that's looking at that, I don't, I don't know that they would try. Yeah, that's a great subject. I'd love for that to be something that would happen. I don't think it will um, for, for that reason. But what you said later that the Bobby Orr rookie, um, specifically the test copy of the 66 Bobby Orr card, I think if something changes, because here's the thing, one sold last year for almost $250,000. So there you got a quarter of a million. And that's, that's for the test issue. That And that's as close as it got. But if you look at, again, if we're, if we're trying to figure out what's the best condition and, you know, how many have been graded, if you go back to PSA again and you look at that, that card has no tens. It's never been given a 10, not once, not ever. In fact, it was only given one nine. There's only one specimen that's a nine, and that's the one that sold for the 250-some thousand. There were eight graded eight, and everything else is below that. So even though there wasn't a lot in the population that have been graded, I think there is strong potential for that card to... I won't say it's going to eclipse the Gretzky, but could it push a million under the right circumstances and the right conditions? Maybe, especially if it had enough hype around it. And if somebody jumped on it and said, Hey, look at what I'm buying. Hint, hint, social media influencers out there. Not that I want you to manipulate the market by any means, because that would not be right. But, you know, if one may do that, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it would hit a million. Honestly, I don't know if anything could hit a million. Should the Gordy Howe rookie be a million? Yeah, probably. If Gretzky's a million, that most certainly should be a million. Well, Are yeah. you going to find one graded a 10? No. No. Well, it doesn't have to be graded a 10, but it has to have a high grade. If it's, it, it, it has to be a high enough grade that people are going to want to bid on it. If it's a PSA 1 Gordy Howe rookie card from 5152, Someone, no one's gonna, you know, blow nine hundred thousand dollars on a PSA one. It's got to be a higher grade. That's that's how these things work, right? Unless it's the only one in existence, which we know that there's more than one Gordy Howe rookie card in existence. Now, an interesting how thing many is of those are on the list here. Why you're but, why you're making your point? Yeah. So I mean, now thinking back to name recognition, now that that raises another good point. You said should a Gordy Howe rookie card be a million dollars? Yeah. It should it should be if if Gretzky is and you're right because now when I think of like think of like hockey players that non hockey fans would know they would know Gretzky and they would know Gordy Howe because those are probably the two most iconic names in hockey not the greatest two players not the greatest two players to hockey fans who know hockey because, you know, somebody will talk your ear off and tell you why Bobby Orr was a better player 
than Wayne Gretzky. But the thing is, is that your casual sports fan knows who Gretzky is, probably knows enough things about Gretzky to, um, yeah, you know, to, to know who he is and who, who's his place. Oh, funny quick side story, and I might have told this before. Over the summer, I was teaching a sports writing class to high school students. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, this class was taught via Zoom. So I'm video conferencing with 12 students. So I'm having them read this article, and it mentions all of these all-time greats. Babe Ruth, Wayne Gretzky, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, Serena Williams. And anyway, I ask my students, like I'm asking them questions, and I'm just like, well, okay, so who's Wayne Gretzky? And there's like this long pause. And then one of them says, isn't he a hockey guy? And then another one says, yeah, but like a really good hockey guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I said, he, he's the best hockey guy ever. And they said, oh, okay. So uh, who's Gordy Howe? Oh, isn't he that guy that Mrs. Grabapple was pen pals with on the Simpsons? Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, so yeah, he's that there's gotta guy. Be, there's got to be a little bit of, yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, uh, there's got to be like some of that name recognition, right? Like, you know, like, oh yeah, Babe Ruth is a base, you know, great baseball player. Muhammad Ali, you're right, a great, great boxer, right? It was just like one of those, those names, right? So like being a name, right? Now to a hockey fan, yeah, Bobby Orr is Bobby Orr. And yeah, if you want to throw, if you want to get technical and say, oh, well, the test issue, I mean, man, talk about finding a diamond, well, that's exactly what you find. And to, back to the Gordie Howe thing, there's been about there've been about 520 of them graded, the Gordie Howe rookie. Mm-hmm. No, no tens, only one nine. 34 eights, and I know a couple of years ago, uh, an eight was sold at auction for about 50 grand. So, that was a few years back. How much it would go for today, I don't know. And if whoever has that nine, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't. I don't know if that's been sold recently or, or what. Right. I mean, all of these, you know, again, all, you know, all of these have good cases. Gordy Howe has a good case because he's Gordy Howe and he's probably the second biggest hockey name after Wayne Gretzky, as far as like what a casual sport, you know, the kind of, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, the hedge fund guy who's going to, you know, collect, sports cards of all the great players and he wants to have these you know high dollar cards right you know yeah he knows who Gordy Howe is even if he's never seen him play a game or or read anything about him he knows the name and then um you know uh Bobby Orr just for now again the test issue so just a quick FYI uh 66-67 top set was 132 cards sold in Canada don't know if it was sold in the U.S. From what I understand, hockey cards really were not sold in the U.S. until the 68-69 season. I don't know if that's 100% true. I heard that from a couple of people. Um, but uh, what Topps did was they made a 66 or they, they made a 66 card test issue of the 66-67 uh, set that was sold only in California. And um, it, it, the cards have slightly lighter brown borders 
than uh, than the standard cards, and the back of the cards are only in English. And the idea was to test selling uh, an English-only set stateside. And so the Bobby Orr rookie card in that, hence the test issue, because it was just that test issue, um, is rarer than a Bobby Orr rookie card. So um, that would be the one that would go for more money because it was a much, much tougher set to find. So, yeah, I mean, that's not even like the real rookie. You know, I mean, it's like a rookie card, but it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like a, uh, I mean, it's like a regional issue. Could that even be considered a rookie card? I mean, under like most of the, stuff that people argue and split hairs over like oh it can't be a rookie card it's a regional issue and not a not a mainstream issue doesn't because matter it's, because it's because the it's same des- it's the same design and it looks pretty much identical other than the color shift and the back not having you know having it printed in in french right i mean that's that's really the only difference i mean look you can jump on ebay right now and buy one of each of these the great you can buy a graded eight Gordie Howe rookie and a graded seven Bobby Orr rookie for a hundred grand. You can buy one of each right now. Hundred grand yeah. each or a hundred grand for both? Total for both. Oh, okay. Right this second. Let me uh, let me just write a check. Yeah. Or they have somebody's got a BVG Beckett vintage grading. Is that what that stands for? Yeah. Um, a pristine 10 Bobby or rookie. I'm not even joking here. A pristine 10. Um, uh, looking at the card, I mean, it looks like it just came off the printer. It's mm-hmm. that good. It's that good looking $175,000. Wow. Again, not even close to what the Gretzky sold for. I mean, right. You know, a little more than ten percent of that. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Do we see another million dollar card? If another ten Gretzky goes up for sale, maybe. Um, you know, I think the ones that we've given out there as examples, those would probably be the best bets. You know, from a modern card standpoint, I don't know. Somebody finds some super rare graded Crosby. I mean, there's plenty of tens. Though Crosby rookies, I think there's plenty of 10 McDavid rookies too. I don't know that any have eclipsed anywhere close to close to that. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because well, we really haven't talked about Mario Lemieux that much. So let's talk about that because even though, you know, I, I agree with what you said about these other cards. I mean, like I said, they all have strong arguments. So let's let's talk about Lemieux for a minute. All right. There was enough 80, 85, 86 OPG cards that there's probably going to be some that are tens right well i will find out as you're talking yeah so what i'm thinking is is yeah you don't you can't have so many of the cards that every card that gets graded is a 10 uh and as tim was saying like anything that says 80s or 90s um is considered junk wax though in hockey it's pre-1990 maybe you can count 89 90 as junk wax that's right on the cusp because they did overproduce the OPG set that year so if you want to say 1989 and before but you know it's like every 10 years because like by the only reason why i say that is because i don't necessarily think that when you get into these 
200,000 plus cards, I don't think you're necessarily targeting hockey collectors per se that would know that, yeah, the 80 stuff is still pretty good. It's the people that are in general going to invest and they're like, oh, I heard that the 80s sucked or the 90s sucked for cards. I don't want those. I want something that's going to, you know, hold value and, right. and appreciate. So that's the only reason why I was saying that. Not that I think it's a bad card by any means or that it shouldn't, you know, get there. I think there's that stigma. We know different, but, you know, the common man, the, the plebes out there oh. may not may not know you know that that's that that's really what you're dealing with. I'm trying to I'm trying to pull up on the list. No, that's, that's fine. So there. so what I'm anyway. So the point I'm getting at is that yeah, the '80s for hockey it was still very underproduced. Uh, I mean, relative to other sports, there's less hockey cards. There's going to be less '85 Lemieux Opeachy rookie cards than '85 Mark McGuire tops baseball rookie cards. Yeah, so in fact, PSA has graded three, four, let's see, five, six, seven, eight, about 3,900 Lemieux Opeachy rookie cards. Mm -hmm. 47.10s. Oh, well, that's not very special now, is it? 575 nines plus 89 other nines with qualifiers. Hmm. Um. So yeah, over over six hundred nine, so almost seven hundred nines and tens. Well, there goes my argument. Although yes. I, I should I should be like uh, Kyle in South Park and be like, you know what? I've learned something today. I've learned that sometimes your first idea is not always your best idea. <laughs> how many how many Lemieux cards could you pull out of a bo- a wax box at that time? Like if you opened a wax box, what were the odds? Of you know, if you opened a box of eighty-five Opeachy, what were the odds that you would pull a Lemieux or maybe multiples? See, I, I don't. Uh, without having the exact numbers, I don't know because I would want to say there were maybe around eight cards per pack. I want I want to say like Patrick Waugh's rookie year, there were seven or eight cards per pack. That was a year later. So if we just say there's eight cards per pack, there's forty-eight packs in a box. So we're looking at eighty, one sixty, two forty, three twenty. Maybe you're getting 320, 300-ish cards in the set. There were 264 cards in the set, so there wouldn't be any single prints. So you're probably looking at one or two. Just me not even knowing the exact numbers. Okay, so so you're probably going to get one. Almost everybody that advertises sealed wax from the 7980 basically says the same thing if you can find a box and it's a sealed box you're going to get two gretzkys you're only guaranteed one well not even guaranteed because there really was no guarantee but pretty much every box had one but they always say there's going to be two sometimes three Mm, i've heard that, that i've heard that numerous times and numerous accounts of that that there's potentially three and i also heard that and I don't know what the truth to this is, that there may have been a different type of collation sent to the packs that were designed or to the boxes that were designed to be sold on retail shelves on a per pack basis. 
because I've heard that more Gretzky's would come out of well, a single box of the ones sent to retail for sale. So like to a drugstore where they would just open the box and put them out on the shelf and sell them by, you know, here's a pack, here's a pack, here's a right. pack. So I don't know how much truth there is to that because, you know, again, I'm no expert on that stuff and we'd have to get somebody in here that, you know, knows all the collations and how, how things were printed and this, that, and the other. But, you know, if that's the case, could there be more of them out there? Maybe. But we sure haven't seen them yet. And that's the thing. You have almost 6,000 cards graded, two tens. Here's an example of 4,000 cards graded, 47 tens. Right. So that just that seven years difference or six years difference Right. Uh, didn't op- didn't by that time Opeachy change their processing and the way they did things? Uh, I mean, they I weren't. This... They they were still off center, but they weren't like cutting them up with a with a dull butter knife, were they? No, but I, I think they still kind of had those those kind of jaggedy edges. Yeah, I don't remember mid mid to late eighties Opeachy having the jagged edges as much as the early years, but I could be wrong. I mean. Yeah, without without digging out one of my Lemieux rookies, I uh, I don't know off the top of my head, because um, I guess I didn't look at it that hard. I was just like, "Yay, Lemieux rookie!" You know, I wasn't thinking, "Oh, but he, but but you have, yeah. but you yay, have Lemieux bad rookie. Let me just yay, throw this in a box. Yay, Lemieux rookie! Now, oh, you have bad edges. Okay, into the paper shredder you go. Bzzz, right, you know. No, no I'm, it's, not, I'm not going that extreme. I mean, obviously, a Lemieux rookie is a Lemieux rookie, but... Well, I'm know, sorry I, I don't have mine taped to the dashboard of my car like you do. It's not to my car. My It's on my bicycle spokes, but it's not I to my car. I hope at least it's a top loader. No. Uh-uh. I like that. I like that pure, natural sound of the yeah. cardboard hitting against the metal spokes of the bike. Uh, you know, I never knew about that. And I had baseball cards in the '80s, and I had a bike in the '80s, and I never even thought about that. Like, oh, you know, I heard those stories as a kid growing up from all the older people. Oh, you put your baseball cards. No, when I was a kid, we ran, we would run over a pop can until it wrapped itself around the tire, and then it got caught up into the fork of the bike, and then it would sound like a motorcycle. (laughs) That's what we would do. Oh man. Oh man, that's that sounds funny. You know, I had we, tr- we traded our cards and we collected them. We didn't stick them in our bikes, folks. Yeah, we traded cards too and collected them, and we, you know, we still rubber banded them, but we still tried to get all of them. And I marked my checklists because that's what you did when you were ten. But um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I was not thinking about uh, long term value. And uh, so it's still just mind boggling to this day to think that a. a hockey card went for over a million well honestly i don't think most of us thought of long-term value until until the boom started like those of us that collected back then you know when the booms when the boom hit in the nine in 90 and 91 and that's when you started seeing the prices go through the roof of everything and it was like you know the kid that's got his allowance and is going to buy 30 cent packs of cards Packs aren't 30 cents anymore. Now they're a dollar. And it's like, well, I could buy one pack now instead of three, like I could have bought before. 
and it's the same packs that you bought a year ago for for less and you know none of us ever thought that until we started going to shows and seeing stuff that holy cow i have that card it's selling for how much this is a 20 dollar card this is this is a hundred dollar card what i better keep that i'm gonna retire off of that that's when it became you know the big business in the you know i'm saving for an investment you know for a rainy day at some point and you know we all know how that all turned out but you know you never know i guess you never know you know these 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 waves you know they come they go they come they go you know are we going to see are we going to see this maintained and, and sustain itself for a while i don't know does a lot of this have to do with the fact that we're all cooped up and have 1.2 million dollars in our pockets burning a hole that we can't go out and spend maybe um you know if 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 the world goes back to normal at some point do all the people that jumped into the card realm and you know are buying everything up do they all disappear do they one day wake up and be like, I can go outside now. I can go to a bar now. I can go out. I can do this. I can do that. What the heck? What is all this stuff I just accumulated? I need to get rid of it. I mean, does that happen? I don't know. Maybe. And then we're back to 1990 Pro Set again. <laughs> well, I think that's a good way to end the show. So, uh, I. With 1990 uh... Pro Set? Yeah, we'll just we'll just end with the pro set reference. Um, you just like think, pro set. I think we've said everything we can say about this. I think we've squeezed all the pulp out of it. The dead horse has been beaten. Yeah. So, like I said before, uh, if you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. Maybe even write a review of the show. Tell your friends about the show. Be sure to subscribe to the show. If you ever have any questions, you could reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at the Real DFG. And uh, what else? Oh yeah, visit PuckJunk.com, and then your website is DogfaceGremlin.blogspot.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening, folks, and uh, we'll be right back at you again soon with another podcast. <laughs> For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.